Um, okay, Joel chapter 2, and I think we will pick up in verse 25. I think we covered the other uh, material pretty good. Joel chapter 2, verse number 25. And I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. All right. Uh, there's nothing in the nursery for you tonight? All right. Okay. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. So what the Lord is saying here simply is I will make up for the loss. Now the locust came through and the other insects. They destroyed the crops. That would have hurt the food supply something terrible, would it, would it not? It, they destroyed everything. So that would hurt them for years to come. They would feel that. There would be a great uh, monetary loss. And that's an understatement. And the Lord said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. So God is saying, I will make up. And when, when I make up for what you have lost, when I bless the land and the crops and the economy, when I just pour out on you a blessing, it will more than make up for everything that you have lost. If you only repent and turn to me, then I will leave behind a blessing. I will give you back more than you lost. Now that is a truth in the material physical world and that is also true in the spiritual world. That God can give back the years that the locusts have eaten when we get away from God or when we run from God or when we despise His chastening, maybe. Uh, maybe as a result of uh, some sin. Uh, it could be you know, something, some sin with money or with one thing or another. Uh, it could be a result of being backslidden. Uh, it could be a result of some sin of a relationship. Uh, whatever it might be, God says that whatever you lose as a result of running from me and rebelling against my command, if you'll repent and turn, return to me, I will more than make up. And that is so true, isn't it? And that's a, that's a comforting thing. I will more than make up for what you've lost in your own rebellion. What the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar, the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. Now notice he says here, my great army. If you've been reading ahead or studying along with this, you may have noticed that there are three armies in Joel chapter 2. Three armies. One right here that the Lord calls my great army. That's referring back to the locusts from chapter 1. If you look at that, chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. Chapter 1, that which the palmer worm hath left, hath the locust eaten, so on and so forth. And then verse 6, for a nation is come up upon my land, strong and without number, whose teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he hath uh, the cheek teeth of a great lion. If you study the, Sto the Schofield Study Bible, they have put that together, and rightly so, with Revelation chapter 9, that... The invasion of the locusts, no doubt, was a literal pestilence of Joel's day. But it's only a picture of what is going to come in the future. So the locusts were a picture of, first of all, Babylon coming in to conquer. This great people coming in and strong. And they would conquer southern Judah. 
But its complete fulfillment is in Revelation chapter 9, the demonic locust beings that we read about during the Great Tribulation. That's what the Lord calls my great army. We studied that pretty well. Then he says, back in chapter 2, verse 11, notice this, And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. Before his army, in verse 11. For his camp is very great, for he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Now, some read into this that this is the devil's army. And uh, when we looked at it, uh, we, we talked about how Joel's prophecy of the locust his prophecy springs out of that, of a coming judgment. But uh, I got to study in this, and through what I was studying, a particular Bible teacher, he brought out some points in here that are very, very interesting, that it looks like it says his army, and that's exactly what it means, verse 11. This is the Lord's army. Now check this out, follow me with this. This army is an army not of locusts, but of people. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. So this army is an army of people, and they're an army of people that can't be killed. I originally thought that this was Revelation 9, those beings, but I don't think so anymore. Look at Revelation, or not Revelation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this ain't, this ain't Babylon, and it's not locusts. So it's an army, and it says it's his army in verse 11. Look at uh, verse 8. They can't be killed. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk everyone in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. Isn't that interesting? So these are going to be beings with some kind of a glorified body that when they fall on a sword, they won't be wounded. And they are on horses. Verse 4. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. Not only that, but these are horses with horsemen, or with riders, appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. So these are people that can't be killed because they have glorified bodies that are not like ours. Uh, So their bodies are more than human. They ride on horses, okay? And it's a direct, (laughs) it's a direct reference, just watch this, to, uh, let's look at Habakkuk chapter 3. So just go to the right, and um, somebody said, if you don't know where Habakkuk is, go to Matthew and then Habakkuk up a couple of books. <laughs> you ever heard the kind of preachers, they call them hacking preachers? I can't imitate them very well, <laughs> but I think that's a hacking preacher joke, Habakkuk up. So you go to Habakkuk, and I'll give you a minute to find it. I'm going to need a minute so I can find it. And go to Habakkuk chapter 3. 
You'll see this is a direct cross reference to uh, the Lord's army. And you'll, you'll find it here in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 11. We're going to follow this all the way up into the book of Revelation. So, if you found it, say amen. amen. <laughs> okay. So, anybody still needs another minute to find it? It's okay. It's all right. So, this is army number two. There's three armies in this chapter that we're looking at. The first army was a reference to the locusts, which picture, or are a type of, that uh, demonic army of Revelation chapter 9. Okay, now this is his army, the second one. This is the Lord's army, Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 11. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of thine arrows they went, and at the shining of the glittering spear. Thou, now look at it, thou, thou didst, who's that referring to? The Lord. Thou didst march through the land in indignation. The Lord is angry. Thou didst thresh the heathen in anger. Who's doing that? That's the Lord. He's angry and he's threshing the heathen in his anger. Thou wentest forth for the salvation of thy people. Who's that? The Jews. Israel. He's going forth to save, to deliver his people just like in the end of Joel chapter 2. Even for salvation with thine anointed. Oh, who's that? Anointed. You know what that is? That's the Old Testament word for Messiah. Anointed is, uh, Messiah means anointed, that's Hebrew. Christ, that's Greek, means anointed. That is a prophecy of the Messiah. So when a Jew reads that and studies that, they understand that's the Messiah. So for salvation with thine anointed, thou woundest the head out of the house of the wicked by discovering the foundation unto the neck, Selah. And here's something here. Whenever you see that word Selah, somebody pointed this out to me, and I've just kind of kept it in my mind, and I thought just as I read the Bible, I'll see if that holds true. Just about every time you see that word Selah, it, you know, you've been told it means meditate on this or stop and think about this. But what, huh? Ponder on it. Next time you're reading through the Bible, every time you see Selah, see if there's not a reference somewhere close by of the second advent. They say every time you see that word, it's, it's in the context, it's the second advent of Christ. Just interesting to think about. Because that's definitely what we're reading about here. This is Armageddon, is what that's describing. So that's the Lord coming back, and he says, you went forth for the salvation of your people, your Messiah, and you're going forth to conquer, okay? Now put that together with Zechariah. So you have Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah. So two or three books to the right. Zechariah chapter 14, looking at his army, the Lord's army. Zechariah 14. And Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. All right, stop there. That's the theme of Joel, isn't it? That's what we've been studying. Five times Joel writes the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord cometh 
and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, talking about Jerusalem, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth, there it is again, the anointed, going forth to fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Okay? Armageddon is what that's referring to. The Lord going forth to fight. Remember we're talking about his army. What does an army do? The army of the Lord. An army is for fighting. But in this situation, what's that? Yeah. Yeah. Which makes me think that there might be. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter 6. We'll comment on, on the way there. Which makes me think that the Valley of Kidron is poss- probably the. Yeah. Yeah, and right there is probably the scene of Armageddon. He brings down the hailstones that are the size of a talent. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a hundred pound hailstone that's going to come down on that uh, down in that valley. And that's what helps to bring the, the blood that's brought it forth. Mm. You've got the blood and the water together that melts. Mm. So that's, that's that show. Yeah. And so this is the Lord, and He is He is a, He is a God of war. The God that we serve. Okay, but when he comes back with his army, the difference is that he's the only one that does the fighting, though. But look at Revelation chapter 6 and verse 12. We're just riding with him, but even if we fall on a sword, which no doubt, if you've ever been around a whole bunch of soldiers, uh, people get hurt, accidents happen, you know, there's uh, those kind of things that happen, and people will fall down, people will get hurt, but we'll have glorified bodies and we won't. We won't be actually hurt from it. So uh, we'll have accidents. Chapter 6 and verse 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell. These are the signs that accompany the Lord's return. When he comes down to fight the battle of Armageddon, these signs will be in the heavens. Even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. There's earthquakes on earth. The kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and chief captains, and mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens. In the rocks of the mountains, you see, hiding themselves from who? From the Lord. Yep, from the Lord. Every eye shall see him, we're told. They'll look upon him who pierced him. And said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For great is his wrath, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? So, the Lord is going to come back in wrath. Now, one more, chapter 19, verse 11, you'll see his armies. 
Um, I imagine people don't like passages like this in the Bible. Yeah. And uh, yes, God is love. But God is also a God of wrath and of judgment. He's holy. Um, but God doesn't want to judge. He calls judgment a strange work. And He would much rather uh, show mercy. But listen, He's holy and He's God. And all sin will be punished. And all rebellion against this God-defying world uh, will be brought the wrath of God to put down all the rebellion. And, um, and so, Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Capital W. And the armies, you see it there, which were in heaven followed him. You say, who's that? That's you, if you're saved. Mm-hmm. That's you. That's the church. There's, he treads that wine press. He fights. The bride doesn't fight. But the Lord does. And he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. So that's his army. All right, back in Joel chapter 2. I won't make you do any page turning on this one. But back in Joel chapter 2. You know the advice of the Bible this way, like the Bible tells you. Um, you actually learn the whole Bible all at once. You could study any one book and you really learn the whole Bible. If you study it biblically, if you study it as a moderate dispensationalist, and you say, what's that? All you have to do to be a dispensationalist is just take the Bible literally, and grammatically, and historically. That's all you do. Just read it like you'd read the newspaper, and if the person that wrote the newspaper is not a big old liar, and is telling you the truth... You read it just like you read the newspaper. And that's how you read it. So that's how you come to these conclusions and how you become uh, a dispensationalist. So, Joel chapter 2 and then verse 20. Notice verse 20. The third army. But I will, will remove far off from you the northern army. The northern army. Who's that? Well... Closer to Joel's day, it would be Assyria. Assyria came down from the north and attacked northern Israel. And the, the Lord miraculously intervened and kept them from coming to the south. Because all they were uh, uh, there for was to attack the north. So, miraculously, the south was protected from Assyria. But they got all of northern Israel... Now, that's the historic reference, but again, this is a prophecy about the day of the Lord, okay? So, that pictures Russia and the armies of the Antichrist. Um, but listen to this. You might find this interesting. This would be the Antichrist army. So, you have my great army. That's talking about the demonic army of Revelation chapter 9. You have his army. That's the church following the Lord, when he comes down for the Battle of Armageddon. And then you have the northern army. That is the Russian 
Antichrist army coming from the north when the Lord comes down at the Battle of Armageddon to destroy them. That's the northern invaders. Listen to what Josephus says about this. He's a Jewish historian. He was a turncoat Jew. He's not really a hero. He turned against his own people, but he's a great historian. This, this is, uh, you'd have to read Ezekiel 38, 39. We won't go there. But in Ezekiel 38 and 39, you read about Gog and Magog. You ever heard those words? Gog and Magog. They're not really sure where Gog is, but Josephus, he identified Magog as the land of the Scythians. That's the region north and northeast of the Black Sea and east of the Caspian Sea. That's the land that's now occupied by Russia, Ukraine, and Kazakhstan. Kazakhstan. <laughs> that's the northern armies coming down. Now today, there's all kinds of Jews in Russia. There's more Jews in Russia than there are in Israel. And uh, more Jews in New York City than there are in Israel. <laughs> so... But they, they will, uh, um, we'll just have to stop with this. But did you ever think about this? Do you ever wonder where heaven is? You ever think about, you know, we think when we die we're going to go to heaven. But did you ever think about what that means, really? Um, let's say right now, the Lord were to call me home. Now we'll pick up in verse 30. I want you to go ahead and come on home and be with me. Well, I would go to be with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Okay, and then maybe five years from now, the Lord comes back and raptures his church and takes his takes all his children home. Those that are in the graves, those that are living, those that are really saved. He takes his church up out of this world. Then there'll be a brief period of time before the tribulation is kicked off. We don't know how much that is. Um, So you're looking at about a seven year period, though, roughly seven year period on this earth of these this. the beginning of the day of the Lord, which starts with the tribulation. So you'll have that seven-year period roughly up in heaven. I think you can't, I mean, maybe you can see this for sure, but I think that during that seven-year period is when we're having the judgment seat of Christ. But it might be going on right now, but I don't know. I think everybody's going to be present when it happens. But up in heaven for seven years, I'll be there. And there'll be the judgment seat of Christ the marriage of the, the bride and the bridegroom, the church will be married to Christ. And then we come back, okay? So let's say add the five years to the seven years, you know, and you got 12 years. So maybe 12 years time, although in heaven there is no time, so we're not really watching a clock. Then we come back, so I spent a little bit of time up in heaven, which is north. I come back, and then for a thousand years I'm on the earth. Heaven is on earth. Heaven comes down to earth. And then the Lord destroys the world, this present. That, the thousand years of that millennial kingdom will be the last thousand years of this present world and this earth. It will be destroyed. And then he'll make a new heavens and a new earth. And then after that, I don't know where I'll be, but I'll be with the Lord wherever he is. But will I be thy kingdom come? Will Jerusalem still be on this earth? Because new Jerusalem will be here. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That place is coming down for the millennial kingdom. So it'll be here. Uh, I don't know, but heaven, for us, a thousand years of it will be on earth. So do you ever think about that? It's kind of interesting to think about. And that thousand years, whatever you do for him during this church age, 
uh, he will give you a greater uh, responsibility to serve him during that millennial kingdom. If you're faithful in little, then he'll give you little. But if you're faithful in much, he'll give you much. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, as I listen to myself talk and explain those things, and um, that's the Bible truth, Lord, I think it's amazing. I think it's incredible, but it's no less amazing than to think of how you created this world with just a spoken word, and you brought things into existence from nothing. And Lord, uh, you formed us, and we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and our bodies are so amazing that science is still trying to study just the human body and the mind to try to figure out how it works, and we're just, a lot of times, just guessing at it. And Lord, uh, we're so dumb that we're never going to figure out 